church. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together, giving thanks for all that he has done in our lives. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles. See your hope. You are the peace in my troubles. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will mold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles. You are the peace in my troubles.
My heart hangs on every word that you speak. I need you, Lord, come find me. Holy Spirit, breathe. I've been walking through deserts. I need more of your presence. I'm weak. Savior, be my strength. Down in the Stronger than 
Christ of the mysteries, I trust you. I find my every hope within you. I will trust in the darkness and know that my ties, even now, are in your Step forward on paths that are winding, relying on your grace, keeping my eyes on my Savior, the author and perfecter of my faith. I know that I can rest within you. I know. Somehow make my obedience count for you. Call my spirit to believe you in all things. Stepping forward. Jesus, we trust you. Even when life seems to swirl around us and we can't seem to gain a foothold, we trust you, God. Help us to trust you more. Help us to wait on you. Help us to rest in you. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. Grand earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. 
seas that are shaken and stirred. Can be calmed and broken for my regard. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well. Be it for me to not believe, even when my eyes can see, and this mountain that's in front of me will be torn into the midst of the sea. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you.
The scripture reading for today is Isaiah 38 through 18. Go now, write it on a tablet for them. Inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more vision of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. A couple things I want to just bring to your attention this morning. Um, one is that we, I want to pre- thanks everyone who brought food today, and we are continuing to collect food for the food pantry. The cupboards are getting kind of bare, and this is a time of year when we have heightened needs. So if you're able to bring any food, you can bring it any time. You can drop by the church office, uh, bring it to the church. We're happy to take that, and uh, we just appreciate the help that that allows us to, to give to others. Also, thanks everyone who did Operation Christmas Child. Our goal is 250 boxes. I saw a sign in the community room for you that said 265 boxes we did. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you. And we pray that those boxes will have a lasting impact on lives. And uh, also we have been, we're coming to the conclusion of our three-week prayer vigil. And it's been a great time together praying. Uh, there, there are a few hours, as there were earlier, a few hours open this afternoon. If you still want to come, you can sign up uh, online anytime or in the back after service. And at 5 o'clock today, we're going to have this gathering here in the sanctuary, just kind of a closing time, a chance to sing together, pray together, opportunity to share uh, about maybe your experiences in the prayer room or what God may be doing in your life in general. And we hope that you will join us today, 5 to, uh, we'll be done at least by 6 o'clock, if not a little before that. So we hope that you will join us today. Let's take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. If you were taking a test and someone asked you, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? What do, you, what, is, what do you do to be a Christian? What would you say? I saw a survey recently of people who are Christians about what they believe it means to be a Christian. And some of the responses were these. More than 80% of the people said that the Christian life is well described as trying harder to do what God commands. Two-thirds of the people said rigid rules and strict standards are an important part of the life and teaching of our church. And at least a fourth of the people said that they serve God out of a sense of guilt and obligation as as 
as opposed to joy and gratitude. We have this tendency to continually come back to thinking about our, our, our journey with Christ as rules and regulations and guilt. You know, we're continually saying we've got to make sure we follow the rules. You can do that. You can't do that. We, are, we don't experience freedom. We, we are thinking, I don't want to make God mad. I better not do this. I should do that. And while there is certainly a motivation that can be positive when it comes to guilt, in the big picture, that's not what God's looking for. And I think that I, wouldn't, I won't take a survey of how many of us may fall into those categories as we think about being a Christian, but I suspect there are moments when all of us wrestle with that. And I think Israel is wrestling with that in this passage from the 30th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy. They are under the gun of Assyria. The nation of Assyria is bearing down upon them. And they have heard all the stories about how ruthless Assyria is. They have left in their wake a carnage of people and cities. And now they've set their sights on Israel. And Israel is panicked. The problem is, instead of crying out to God for help, they are saying, let's go look at Egypt. Egypt's got a big army. Egypt will rescue us. Egypt will save us. And this prophecy is God's response to that. And God is saying to them, look, uh, did you forget me? And they're saying, we don't want to hear about God. We want, this is a visible problem. This is a problem we can see. This is a real situation. And we need a real visible answer. And that's not God that we can't see. That's Egypt that we can see. And let's be honest, there are times where we all wrestle with that. We've got a visible problem facing us. Maybe it's something to do with a job or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's something in your family or it's, a, it's an issue that you're dealing with personally, whatever it may be. And you're feeling the pressure, you're feeling the vice grip of this situation and, and fear is coming to you, anxiety, worry, maybe even panic. What do we do? We turn to visible solutions. I got to think my way through this. I got to find a way to, to find somebody who can help me. I got to do these things, do these things. And there's nothing wrong with that in one sense. It's just that as Christians, our first option should always be turning to God. The problem isn't that Israel looks for a visible solution. The problem is that they don't think God is a visible solution. And we wrestle with that too. And so they reject God. And what is God's response? You would think it would be fine. You reject me, I'll reject you. That's what we do, right? It's not. God says to them, there are going to be consequences to you making this choice. But I'm not going to reject you. And you get to verse 15, and he says, In quietness and strength or confidence is your salvation. He says in the beginning of verse 15, Return to me. Repent, some of the translations say. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Rest in me. Now that word to return, or sometimes translated repent, in many cases it is, it is used in the context of sitting. It's what, it's what happens, Moses says to Israel in the uh, 14th chapter of Exodus. The Israelites are on the banks of the Red Sea. They've just come out of Egypt and they've been free. And now they've come up against the, the waters of the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go. And they look up and here comes the Egyptian army behind them. And they are being squeezed. There is no place to go. And they begin to panic. And they cry out to Moses, why did you do this to us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why We were fine. Yes, we were slaves, but that's better than dying here. And they are panic-stricken. And what is Moses' response to them? Moses says in verse 13, Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. Stand still. And that's the same word that Isaiah uses in chapter 30, verse 15. You can see how it comes from sitting 
to returning and to repentance. Because to sit, to stand still, to wait, is an acknowledgement that the only solution I really have is God. And I trust Him. And I'm going to watch Him work. I'm going to see Him at work. And just as God rescues Egypt, or rescues Israel from Egypt, He wants to rescue Israel from the Assyrians. And He wants to rescue us from these things that squeeze us. The problem is waiting on God, resting in God, sitting before God when all of this is squeezing us, puts up, makes, makes us feel very vulnerable. Because we're not doing anything it doesn't feel like. We're just being, we're trusting, we're resting, we're sitting, we're turning to God. And he doesn't promise to remove all of the pressure from us. He just says, you just sit with me, be with me, and experience me. And it makes us feel vulnerable. We're not in control anymore. I think that's Israel's problem. See, they, if they can get Egypt to help them, they'll be in control. But when you rely on God, God's in control. And quite frankly, let's be honest, we like being in control. We like having our hands on things. We like pushing the buttons. We like moving the knobs. We like being able to to determine how things are going to happen, which is why we don't pray all that much. That's why we struggle to pray, especially listening, resting, waiting kind of praying. Because when we're in control, we talk a lot. That's how we control situations. If you're in a situation with someone that you're uncomfortable, you're not sure what they might say to you, then what do you do? You control the conversation so they can't get around to subjects that might be uncomfortable for you. It's hard to sit and listen. It's hard to wait. It's hard to give up control. But that's what God is asking of us. I think one of the reasons we struggle with this kind of praying, praying in general, but specifically listening, waiting, resting kind of praying, is that it feels like we're being very unproductive. Not doing anything. And our lives are built around doing things. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a task list person. I like making lists. My outlook, I've got the task list and I've got it all organized. And I love being able to check off those boxes. And in fact, sometimes I I do a task that I forgot to write it down. I'll put it on the list just so I can check it off. Yeah, I know you're going, wow, the guy's weird. That's true. But there's something about that of completing tasks. You get to the end of the day and you look back and you say, I was productive. Why were you productive? Because I accomplished these things. I crossed these things off the list. That's how we view success. That's how we view productivity. And quite frankly, it's kind of hard to view prayer like that. Especially the kind of praying where you're listening to God and you're waiting on God and you're sitting with God and you're resting, trusting in God. Because it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. But that's just because we have a skewed view of what productivity and success is. What we will often say then in response to that is, well, all right, I guess I'm just going to choose to spend some time today and not be productive. So I'll pray. What we ought to be saying is, I'm going to pray today because, quite frankly, there there is no more productive thing I can do than to listen to God. In this passage in Exodus 14, after God says, Jesus or Moses says, stand still and watch God rescue you. In about three verses down the road, three, four, five verses down, he says, okay, now get up and let's get moving. But the, the waiting, the standing still, the praying leads to action. 
in this passage in Isaiah 30 and a few verses down the road, 21, I think it is, he says, okay, now you start walking and I'll tell you which way to go. But the only way to to hear God's voice is if we are listening for God's voice. And the walking is always the product of being. Doing is always the product of being. And we cannot be unless we take time to be. And instead of viewing that as being unproductive or a waste of time, we view that as the most productive thing we can do, as the best use of our time, because in that moment, more than anything else, we are starting to understand more and more of who God is. And if there's anything else that, that we understand about Scripture, anything else that we may, everything else we may forget... The one thing that we need to understand is that nothing is more important than having a clear understanding of who God is. Every struggle that we have is rooted in a misunderstanding of who God is. Not that the struggle comes to us because we don't know who God is, but how we respond to it. Our our wrestling to to do what God wants us to do is rooted in a skewed view of who God is. Our struggle to trust God is rooted in a skewed view of who God is. That's why Scripture keeps telling us again and again and again. That's why so often, if you read through the Old Testament, again and again and again, God says to Israel, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Why does he keep repeating that? Because he wants them to remember who he is. You can't know who God is unless you spend time waiting on God and listening to God and being with God. When you get to the 40th chapter of of Isaiah, the end of that, Israel is again complaining to God and they're crying out to God, why have you forgotten us? Why aren't you paying attention to us? Why aren't you helping us? And, and Isaiah says to them, why do you say, O Israel, the Lord has forgotten you? That, that your life doesn't matter to him. Why do you keep saying that? Do you not know? Have you not heard? I'm the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I don't grow tired or weary. Why do they keep complaining? Because they don't know. They have forgotten. They have not understood who God is. And when you get to verse 18 of of Isaiah 30, you find this amazing verse where he says, God is faithful. God says to them, look, I'm going to wait for you. This is the kind of God we worship. I'm going to wait for you. And even if you don't want to wait for me, I will wait for you. I'm right here. I'm here in a moment. I'm I'm always waiting for you to acknowledge me, to see me, to look at me, to pay attention to me, to spend time with me. I am here because I'm a faithful God. Faithfulness is not God, something God chooses. Faithfulness is, is the DNA of who God is. You know, we choose to be faithful. We make that, that's a choice we make. But for God, it's who he is. He cannot not be faithful. It's impossible for God to be unfaithful. It is a part of who he is. It's like with us, we, we, can't, we, have, we can't do anything about the, about the color of our eyes that we're born with. It's just who we are. We don't choose it. God doesn't choose to be faithful. He just simply is faithful. But how do we know that? We only know that by being with God, spending time with God, waiting on God, resting in Him, sitting with Him, being quiet with Him. Psalm 46 has been one of my, it's one of my favorite psalms. And the first nine verses are describing this chaotic activity going on in Israel. Everything is pushing and pulling and mountains are quaking and surging. And there's all this chaos going on. And what is the psalmist's solution? It's a word from God in verse 10 that says, be still. Be still. Stop. Sit. 
listen and know that I am God. He doesn't promise to remove all the chaos. But he does remind us that when we are still, when we listen, we will experience who God is. And that changes our perspective in the midst of the chaos. Because God is faithful and good and just and right and he's with us. Even God's judgment is something for which to give thanks. We don't always see it that way. I mean, we often talk about, man, don't get, don't, don't get caught in the crossfires of God's judgment. There's nothing worse than, than, than being the recipient of God's judgment. And we, we talk about God's judgment, God's wrath, sometimes is referred to as well, as if it is vindictive and sinister. Let's be honest, that's our judgment. That's our wrath. That's how we respond to things that we don't like. We get vindictive and sinister. But not God. God's judgment is just as much a part of his love as his grace is. Because he is right and just and true and good. And that's why in 1 Chronicles 21, David makes this decision to completely ignore God. And God's, you know, he's going to take a census and God sends the prophets to say, David, don't do it. It's this arrogant rejection of God. Why would you do this? And David says, I'm doing it anyway. And then when he does it and it's over with, he realizes how wrong it was. And God says, there are going to be consequences, but I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose three years of famine or three months of the sword of your enemies against you or three days of the angel of the Lord bringing plagues to Israel. And I think most of us would say, hmm, I think, I'll, I think I'll take my chances with the famine or my enemies. Because I, I don't want to get in the path of God's judgment and wrath. But David says, I'll take God's wrath any day over my enemy's judgment. Because I know God is merciful. Which is exactly what David experiences. I think that's what Jesus means when he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But how do you know that unless you try it? How do you know that coming to him is rest for our souls? Because we know who God is. And the only way we can know who God is, is by resting in him, listening to him, sitting with him, waiting on him. And finding him to be exactly who he says he is. If you go back to the opening questions and some of the results of that survey, the reason we have a skewed view of what it means to be a Christian is because we have a skewed view of God. And the reason we have a skewed view of God is because we don't take the time, we don't see the time as valuable to just be with Him and to listen to Him. To sit with him. Speak into our lives. To be willing to wait when we really want to do. To be willing to trust when we don't see God doing what we think he should do. To be still. And know that he is God. What's fascinating is one of the things that happens when we begin to understand who God is is that we get filled with gratitude. When you begin to understand the nature of God, you can't help but be thankful. And it makes me wonder if that isn't what Paul is getting at when he writes to the Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks. 
For this is God's will for all who are in Christ Jesus. Why is it God's will that we give thanks in everything? Because it's a sign, it's an indication that we are actually beginning to understand who God is. That God can be trusted. That God is good and merciful and gracious. No wonder we can give thanks in everything because God's in the middle of everything. He's with us in everything. But if we don't take time to see him, don't take time to be with him, we miss that. And we live our lives in anxiety and fear and worry and looking for every other solution because we haven't taken the time to know God. This table historically has been called the the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving. And we give thanks when we come to this table because we remember who God is and what God has done. My prayer today is that as we come to this table, we will have a sense, a little bit deeper sense of who God is. And maybe it will it will motivate us to want to know more of who God is. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, how long we've been a follower of Jesus. Maybe we're not a maybe I've been a follower of Jesus yet, but it doesn't make any difference. We never get to the end of knowing who God is. Always understanding more. Always the need to be with him. I heard someone once say, nobody takes a Sabbath by accident. And I would add to that, nobody nobody rests in prayer by accident. Nobody waits on God by accident. It's a choice we make. It's a a gift of God. The freedom he gives us to come and to rest and to sit with him and to know him. So for the next few minutes, maybe 60 seconds or maybe a little more, we're just going to sit in silence. Open your eyes, close your eyes, kneel where you are, sit, stand, whatever you want to do. We're just going to to sit in silence and ask God to speak to us and to let him know we're listening because we want to know him. Father, thank you for the gift of being able to sit with you and to know you. 
Give us more and more of a desire to be still and know that you are God. And quietness and confidence is our strength. To rest, to sit, to return to you. As we hear you calling us. Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. And over the course of these last few weeks, as we have joined our hearts together in this intensive time of prayer, we thank you for the way you have, you have spoken to us, for the ways in which you have worked in our hearts, leading us, guiding us, teaching us, helping us. We pray, Father, that what we've experienced in these three weeks would not end tonight, but would be a catalyst for the rest of our lives. Father, we thank you for um, your gentle care among your children all throughout the world. We think of those who live with such great need, those who suffer innocently because of cruelty, people caught in the crossfire of war and conflict, and people who are hungry and thirsty and homeless, for refugees. For the persecuted church in in Nigeria, we pray, Father, that you will help them to know your presence with them, protecting, speaking. Help them to see you. We pray, Father, for, for our own nation. As we continue to move forward, we pray that you will give us a spirit of love for each other and a spirit of compassion for each other and particularly for those who are most vulnerable in our society. Lord, we pray that you will help us as a church to continue to reach out to people around us who have needs. Let us be agents of healing and grace in our area, giving food, and assistance, encouragement, and help. Father, we pray for churches around us. We pray for the Anchor Baptist Church in Wellsville and Pastor David Cassiola. We pray that your mercy would be upon them and that you would bond them together in your love and that they would be a light for you in their community. Father, we pray for all among us who are struggling with grief, physical issues, relational breakdowns, things that we're struggling with about our work, our families, all of life, Lord, the direction of the future for us. We pray, Father, that, that as we listen to you, as we sit with you, we will sense you at work and know that we can trust you. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon our lives. And as we come to this table this morning, we pray, Father, that the bread and the cup will will know the anointing of your blessing, that they will be food and drink, nourishment to our souls. That we will come with hearts of gratitude. Because we have seen a clearer glimpse of who you are. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip into the cup, to return your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, I have, we have uh, trays of bread and cups in the back, and I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. If you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. 
This might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon Thee, and Thy beauty fills my soul. For by Thy transforming power, Thou hast made me whole. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving Oh, how great thy loving kindness, faster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise. And have made it mine. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving Simply trusting Thee, Lord Jesus, I behold Thee as Thou art. And Thy love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. Satisfies its deepest longings, meets supplies its every need. Compasseth me round with blessings, Thine is love indeed. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Ever Thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting, resting, fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving your God. I go before you now. I stand beside you. I'm all around. 
the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.